So Money episode 581, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Tammy Tibbetts. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. It's Friday, June 2nd. Welcome to June, everybody. Can we call it summer already? Can we? I mean, the weather has been a little so-so, but I'm calling it summer. And June is one of my favorite months. It's my son's birth month. It's our anniversary month. So lots to look forward to. And uh, this is a special episode. This is a special 581 Ask Farnoosh episode because we have with us a co-host handpicked from the audience, from the listenership. You guys are really good at listening to this show because I mentioned a little briefly earlier on that I wanted to start bringing on some audience members to share the mic with me on Fridays and go through these Ask Farnoosh questions together. And uh, our very first uh, guest co-host today is Tammy Tibbetts. And just a little uh, shout out to Tammy before I let her take the stage. But she, you know, she is a remarkable young woman starting out as a journalist, then starting her own international nonprofit called She's the First. It's a a girls' education and youth leadership nonprofit that's granting educations to young girls all over the world who wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity. And I think it's so remarkable that she started this in her 20s. She, in some ways, embodies so much of uh, of our listenership, you know, the ambitious, aspirational, uh, go-getting uh, person that you all are. And, and so, Tammy, welcome to So Money. And, and what made you want to co-host? Oh, well, thanks for having me, Farnoosh. I'm thrilled to be the first co-host. And I guess I'm just a fan of the podcast. And when you said that you were for looking for co-hosts, I thought, well, you know, my whole job is about making it rain <laughs> and money um, for nonprofits. So I emailed you and here I am. And here you are. And your organization, tell us a little bit about She's the First and how you are helping these these young girls and what inspired you. Well, She's the First is fighting gender inequality by supporting girls who are going to be the first in their families to graduate from high school all around the world. This started out almost eight years ago as a simple YouTube video and social media campaign. So I never imagined when I was 23 years old and getting this message about the importance of girls' education out into the world that it would become my full-time job, my full-time passion. But I'm so glad it did because every day um, we're, we're changing girls' lives. Really? I mean, a side hustle turning into a huge nonprofit organization, that's that's pretty remarkable. And I understand you worked under Anne Choquette at 17, who's been on this show and has a new book out called The Big Life. That's a great mentor to have in your 20s. Yes. And, and she still is an advisor to She's the First. And I'm, uh, I'm in her book in the side hustle chapter. As you should be. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Tammy. I hope this will be fun for you. Um, you're, you're our very first uh, co-host here. And I'm, I'm excited to say that we've got a lot of interest from many listeners who want to come on and, and get the chance to, to chime in and, uh, and have fun with me on, on these Friday episodes. And our first question comes from an anonymous listener 
who leave who's left a voicemail and it's about how lending money to a friend has backfired. Let's let's listen to her. Hi, Farnoosh. I am in a predicament from lending money to someone. Back in 2015, I helped out someone close to me and loaned him some money. I had it all in writing and had my bases covered. He did pay me back a little, and I was trying to be patient and understanding about it, but he has always seemed to have money to go out to do fun things, but hasn't been paying me. So in March, I took him to small claims court, and I won, no problem. He still owes me over $1,600, but I just recently received a letter that he is filing for bankruptcy. So I'm wondering if you have any advice and if there's anything I can do. And also, shortly before he filed for bankruptcy, he bought a new vehicle. I have no idea how he pulled that off unless he put it in someone else's name. And now he's also been taking vacations. So is that something that can be looked into for bankruptcy fraud? I'm planning on talking to an attorney, but I just wanted to get your thoughts as well. Thanks for your time and for all that you do. All right. Well, I'm so sorry to hear this, that a really well-intentioned loan that she put in writing. She did all the right things, Tammy, and it still ended up going south. And she even took him to small claims court and won, uh, but he has gone missing. Has this ever happened to you? This, this, you know, this potential of giving money or something to someone and, and, and not being the loan not being returned? This situation hasn't happened to me, but, you know, I've have made mistakes that have cost me, you know, small sums of money. And, um, I find that usually I'm curious whether she had a gut feeling before Hmm. agreeing to do this. Um, because sometimes, you know, you should listen to your gut. And when you don't, you end up having to pay $1,600 or something like that. Um, if it doesn't, Go your way. Yeah, and also not to mention the cost of the relationship. You know, I don't yeah. think she ever really wants to have a, have coffee with this person ever again. Um, but to answer her question, what else can she do? I would say that if if your emails and your calls have gone unanswered, and there is a track record for this that you can show that I've tried to contact my friend despite the court order, he has gone missing, has no, seems like he has no intentions of paying me back. I would go back to the court and ask them if they have any advice for you. What other direction can you take? In some cases, in some states, you can garnish wages, you can garnish their tax returns, you can put a property lien on their property. So you can, there there are other steps that you can take that are um, a little more, a lot more aggressive, but I wouldn't do it without the cooperation of the courts and they can give you the proper directions for doing that. And maybe that is something that you want to do. You know, Um, this is frustrating. I feel you, especially if you're seeing your friend buying things and taking on vacations, but that's probably why they're also declaring bankruptcy. They just are spending money that they don't have. Um, Just know that this could be a long road, you know, unfortunately, but you are doing all the right things and just see maybe if the courts can now step in even further and help you with perhaps garnishing wages and sending you a check from their from their employer or from, you know, th- their tax withholdings. All right. We have another audio question, Tammy, and this one's from Corey. And it's about how to achieve buying their dream home. So I'll let Corey take this one away. Hello, Farnoosh. 
my wife and I have a goal to buy our dream home in about three and a half years and keep our current home as a rental property. We are currently saving as much as we possibly can. And in order to boost those savings a little bit, we have dropped our 401k contributions a little bit, which seems like a no-no, but it's getting us closer to our goal, and it feels it feels good. Um, I dropped my 401k contribution from 8% to 5%. My employer does not offer a match. My wife dropped her uh, contribution from... to 4%, her company does offer a 3% match. Other details, our current mortgage on our current home, we have about $130,000 left on that home. We already have an emergency fund of about four months saved up. So dropping the 401k contribution to get to our goal of our dream home and owning a rental property faster. Thoughts? All right. So first things first, Tammy, do you own or do you rent in New York City? I rent in Brooklyn. You rent in Brooklyn? Where in Brooklyn are you? Yeah. In well, Park Slope. In Park Slope. Okay. So I'm I'm a couple neighborhoods over. I'm in uh, Borham Hill and I love Park Slope and I, I uh, would love to, I wouldn't mind living there actually. They have great public schools in Park Slope. It would save me a lot yeah, of money. And- I love your neighborhood too. My gym is there. <laughs> oh yeah, which gym? Yeah, I go to Blink. You do go to Blink. So they just opened and I'm wondering who goes here because it's right across from New York Sports Club. <laughs> so it's like those two rivals, like what do you what do you like about Blink? Because it seems like a very different take on the gym experience. Yeah, well, you know, they're owned by Equinox, so I think they just are um They've got a great brand. Their staff is so friendly. Every time you walk in, it's super clean and it's very cheap. Ah, there we go. It's very cheap. And it's owned by Equinox, which is very expensive. So maybe you're getting mm-hmm. a little best of both worlds. Okay. We have derailed a little bit, but that's good to know. Blink is uh, maybe worth checking out. I have to train for a half marathon soon. It's happening and I haven't trained at all. It's happening in October. Wish me luck. Um, so Corey and his wife want to buy their dream home in, in a few years. And in, in an attempt to save up for this, they have dropped their contributions to their retirement accounts. Now, Corey, I, I get that you ha- something you feel like has to give if you want to save more aggressively for this big goal of buying a home. And I hope you can get there. Um, I just worry about dropping your contributions as much as you have in, you know, in your case, you've dropped it by um, almost 50%. Your wife also almost dropped her contributions by 50%. I would say that at the very least, try to get your wife to contribute as much so that she can earn the full 3% company match. So she does 3% and then our company gives her 3%. So that's a total of six. So initially she was doing seven total. Now she's doing, now I would love for her to do maybe six total. We always say that if you have a an opportunity to bank on a company match, which is essentially free money in your 401k or your 403b, do it, maximize that. And um, I, I feel like I wouldn't feel so disappointed <laughs> in in the direction of, of, you know, reducing your contributions. At least you're getting that match. And um, I would say that once you 
do sell your current home and it turns into a rental property and hopefully that's cash flow positive, you would take some of that extra revenue and put it towards playing catch up in your retirement account for the little that you've backed down for now, maybe in five years, once you have your dream home and you've got that rental income, that you can use some of that to uh, pay into your retirement accounts and play some catch up. So good luck with that, Corey. All right. And next question is Gabe. I'm going to have you read this one off for you. Sorry. Okay. Next question is from Gabe. And so Tammy, you can take this one and, and tell us what Gabe is curious about. Gabe says he's thinking of buying a house with a 3% interest only mortgage. As far as paying the mortgage, he's wondering if it's a better investment to put more money towards the principal of the loan or just pay interest during the interest only term and instead invest his money in the stock market, mainly via ETFs and index funds. Which option is better, putting money towards a mortgage or stocks? Wow. Okay. So this is a really popular question that I think in the personal finance world, it's asked and answered a lot. And oh gosh, I mean, from a historical return perspective across the map, I would say stocks do have a higher return over decades, over like, let's say 30, 40 years you know, the U.S. stock market has returned more than home prices. That said, if you are in places like New York City, New York, uh, sorry, San Francisco, or maybe even like Boston, um, depending on when you bought and when you sold, there there is a chance to also there make a, a nice profit and perhaps more than you would with um, with the stocks. I mean, Gabe, I don't really know a whole lot about some of the other things that might be going on in your financial life. One, do you have much saved for retirement? If you don't have a pretty good retirement fund, and what does that even mean? So, you know, there are all different types of metrics, but by 40, the goal is to hopefully have about twice your income in retirement, in your retirement savings account. And if you're nowhere near that, then you might want to consider putting the extra money that you have towards a retirement account, an IRA, a Roth IRA, your work 401k, if you're self-employed, maybe a SEP IRA. Or if you have, if you're not interested in any of that and you just kind of want to have a brokerage account, then you can open up a brokerage account. And I like the idea of having index funds and ETFs, those low fee funds mainly um, will be a, a low cost way for you to grow your money. Though, an interest-only mortgage, just be aware of the fact that when you're not paying any money towards principal and just interest, after, say, five or seven years when that interest-only component of that mortgage expires and now you have to pay interest plus principal and your balance hasn't gone anywhere, and now interest rates could be 6 7%, I don't know, by then it could very well be, could have doubled since where, from where we are today you're going to be facing a very big mortgage bill every month, much larger than what you're used to paying. So it's really important that if you don't go the pay more towards the principal route and more the I'm going to invest in stocks route, that you're very well prepared for that day when that interest only component expires and now you have to pay principal as well. Your payments could double easily or close to that, and you need to pay up for it. You need to have the money for that. So those are the things that you have to weigh. 
Um, but you know, if you're, so this is not just a strict, you know, which one is going to get me the biggest return on biggest bang up for my buck, the biggest return on my investment. It's also what can you handle really? Um, Three, I, I, for this reason, I don't love interest only loans because they're very tempting. You just pay the interest. And then when that kind of interest expot, when that interest only uh, term expires, then you're facing a bigger bill. And if you don't have the means to pay that or you haven't been kind of saving up for that day, you could be in trouble. So just think about that. Do some of the math in that department and maybe that will give you a better answer for yourself. All right. Next question, uh, Tammy, take it away. It's from Sarah. She asks, what is considered a low expense ratio? After a recent podcast, I went back and it looks like my portfolio, which is primarily made up of index funds, has ratios as low as 0.045%, but as high as 1.33%. Is 1.33% too high? All right. So, do you um do you ever look at your expense ratios, Tammy? Do you have a do you how do you say for retirement? For retirement, I have a Roth IRA. Great. And do you know how you're invested, or is that just something that you don't really look at closely? I know that I am with Fidelity, and they've got it set up. Um, but I don't know what the um, exact ratio is, so okay. I have to look into that. Yeah. So it's really important. I actually was sort of lackadaisical about this myself and I only kind of got more uh, laser focused on this a few years ago when I interviewed Tony Robbins and he wrote a book about money. And one of the big takeaways for me from the interview and from going through his book was that it's very important to look at the expense ratios. In other words, when you invest in a mutual fund, or an index fund, or an ETF, or any kind of fund, there's usually a cost associated with that. It's a percentage, uh, an annual percentage taken from the uh, the value um, in that fund that you have accumulated, or, or whatever. Like, so if it's if you've got five thousand dollars in a mutual fund, and the expense ratio is one percent, then they're going to take one percent of that every year. That's on top of whatever your financial advisor is paying is is costing you. So it may seem very nominal, like what's a percent here, there, really, it's so little, like, does it even matter? And the answer is yes, it matters a lot. Because when you're thinking about retirement and investing year over year over year for 30 years, if you start young, and the compounding of that, you know, I did the math and Tony's done the math and it's very easy to do the math. You can go online and, and figure out what expense ratios really add up to and it's it could it's potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars when you also factor in what you might be paying a financial advisor on an annual basis and that's something that you really don't need to be paying these expense ratios in many cases um something like a 0.045% ratio is very low and i like i like i like that sir i like 0.045 1.33 is is not as high as I've seen, but compared to 0.045, it's a lot higher. And so you might be like, oh my gosh. But if, if like all of your funds were 1.33, I'd be a little nervous. I will say that in my case, I did find that most of my funds luckily were below, um, were very nominal, like almost 0%. The expense ratio is like your 0.045%. There were a couple that were over 1%. And I asked my advisor about them and I said, why are these more expensive? 
And she said, well, if you look at what so the one that was kind of one and a half percent or one point three three percent, it was an emerging markets index fund. And she said, you have to understand that, you know, not all funds are created the same. And these emerging markets are very volatile and there is a little bit more work that goes into managing the risk within these particular funds. It's more maybe time consuming, thought consuming. And so you're going to pay a little bit more for that. Um, but at the same time, it's important that you are in emerging markets because there's a lot of growth there. You're young. It's high growth. You can take on this kind of risk. Um, so I, she said, I recommend keeping it, paying a little bit more for it. And for some of these other funds that might have been higher than I would have liked, the expense ratios, we found comparable funds that invested in similar things with smaller expense ratios. So we were able to overall bring down my expenses. Um, I kept a couple of over 1% funds because I I rationalized that it was worth it because maybe they were a little more high risk and needed more risk management. I'm getting a little too in the weeds right now, but bottom line, Sarah, is a low expense ratio is something I would say that's below half a percent. And you don't really want to go over one and a half percent. If you are, you really want to understand why and is it possible to replicate the dynamic of that fund in terms of how it's invested, what's in it, the, the, you know, the ingredients in a different way with a lower cost? You know, it's almost like buying um, organic or not organic. Sometimes you don't need the organic, but it's like you think everything has to be organic, so you're going to pay up for it. But actually, like, you know, it's more important that you focus on organic uh, berries because those are more prone to pesticide. You know what I mean? Like, it's just you have to get a little more educated in what really you're getting for your money and is it actually going to make a difference. And, and in that case, it's good to talk to a fiduciary financial advisor who's not there to sell you stuff to make money, but really just there to look out for your best interest. Um, so was that, are you still awake, Tammy? Because I've, <laughs> I, I'm awake. I've, I um, want to listen to the podcast that Sarah listened to that prompted this. So I have to go back and look it that have been. Up. We talk about this occasionally. I actually do recall recently talking about low expense ratios. Maybe it was an Ask Farnoosh, but maybe it was also the Tony Robbins episode one. What, what's been your favorite episode, Tammy? Well, I think I'm a little biased, but I loved when you interviewed Anne. Um, Anne Choquette, your former her, boss. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I just believe in that her message in the big life so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to contribute to Seventeen Magazine as well under Anne's guidance. And I was a financial columnist for them during the recession, which I thought was so cool that, you know, a young female audience kind of magazine that the leadership there really wanted someone to bring in some financial clarity to that audience and not didn't mm-hmm. underestimate the fact that when, even though you're 14, um, you know, you still do want some financial guidance. You're curious about money. And I was really fortunate and proud to be able to, to do that for a little bit. Um, and we would sometimes field questions from the audience, from the readership. And I will say they were pretty sophisticated questions and they were going through some really challenging times in their families because if you remember 2008, 2009, it was a really yep. scary time for everybody, especially I think when you're young and no one's telling you really what's going on, but you see the mm-hmm. emotional turmoil that's happening everywhere. People are upset, losing their jobs, they're scared, they're frightened. 
they're insecure and all you want to do is help. And that was actually the the beautiful thing that I kept hearing from the 17 readers, these young girls who'd say, my parents lost their jobs. My mom is really, really worried about paying the bills. I want to help her. She's not really coming to me for help, but how do I do it in a way that, you know, I'm not being like the nosy daughter, but I really do want to help. And so a message to parents out there, if you have tween or teenage kids, enlist their help. They want to help. They want to like, they would love to, if you told them like, hey, if you just, you know, turning off the lights in the house before you leave is going to save us $10 a month on energy, which is hundreds of dollars over the course of the year, which is, you know, more opportunities for us to like have fun times to go out to eat. And if you put it in that context, I think that they're more than willing to 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 follow the rules in the house, at least. <laughs> did yeah, you, that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, what did you, uh, what was your role at 17? You were the social media. So I was like, you're really on the, on the cutting edge there too, social media manager. Yeah, that was my last role there, but I started out as uh, the prom website editor. Oh my gosh. All right. So well, what year was that? That was in 2007. All right. So, so I was there for five years. years ago. <sighs> prom is intense. Let me tell you. People, I, I hear people, I don't have, I have years until prom, but the money that you put towards prom is like serious. You got to start saving for that from freshman year because parents will suddenly are like, wait a minute, there's, it's not just the dress, it's the limo, it's the dinner, it's the nails, it's the hair. Like, it's like getting married. Yeah. And then college tuition after that. Oh, yeah. By the way. It's such a slap in the face. It's like you have this big expense and then it's right before college, which is going to be the biggest probably expense uh, of your young adult life. Well, speaking of um, big expenses, our last question is from Sean. And Sean wants to know, should I pay for my wedding photographer in cash or on a credit card and pay it off in increments? Tammy, a personal question. Are you married? No, not yet. Not yet. Are you engaged? No. Okay. (laughs) No, but I have a wonderful boyfriend, Michael. Okay. Well, happy to hear that. So, I mean, if one day you and Michael got married or if you, you know, just hypothetical, what, how do you envision paying for your wedding? Have you thought about it? Um, I, well, I plan to have a small wedding, so I don't think it'll be super expensive, but when it comes to larger expenses in my life, or even at She's the First, I am a big fan of putting it on the credit card to get the points, Mm -hmm. but I always pay off whether it's mine or She's the First credit card bill um, as the statements come. So the part about paying it off in increments, I don't know if that's a good idea. You'll have to advise them on that. But for me, I love the credit card points and redeeming them on, you know, free air miles. Yes. I'm with you on that. I think that I like to put a lot of my expenses on my credit card, knowing that I will be paying this off in full before any interest accrues, before any penalty. Like I'm just, it's going to be gone within the month, maybe even before the the pay date. Um, so Sean, I think that for two reasons, I would opt for a credit card instead of cash. You know, I've heard a lot of terrible stories. Not a lot, but enough for that. It, it would frighten me to encourage you to pay in cash for your wedding photos because what if the photos come back terrible or 
they something happens and they lose the photos or they gets deleted, you know, there that has happened. And fortunately these days uh, everything is digital and so hopefully your photographer is able to upload the photos as he or she's taking the photos and so there's no risk of, you know, them getting deleted off his or her camera. But even then, what if they come back and they're really late or I've had it happen where people are like, we didn't get our wedding album for like a year and a half later because, you know, our, our photographer got really tied up. So it would be terrible if you paid them all in cash and then you had to sit on your hands for a long time to get them. And you have at that point, no leverage, right? You always want to maybe give a deposit, but always keep a little bit money back so that you have the leverage, you can go back if things are coming to you late or you don't like things, they'll make the adjustments happily because they still are owed money. Um, But the other reason I think it's helpful to put it on a credit card with the intention of paying it off in full right away, no increments, um, is like Tammy said, you know, you can get cash back or points. And that could be helpful if you are planning to say, go on a wedding, uh, sorry, a honeymoon soon after if you put this on a travel rewards card or something like that, you might be able to use those points towards flights or, I don't know, hotel, depending on the kind of card that you have. Um, yeah, paying it in increments could be pointless because the interest that you'll pay could outbalance or out, sort of counterbalance the um, any points you get. So it's, it ends up being a negative. And of course, um, it hurts your credit score too when you carry that balance month over month. So my advice is do the credit route, but try to pay off that credit card bill within the month that the bill comes due. And don't pay it all right away. Do maybe a 30 or 50% down payment to secure <laughs> the photographer, but keep some money back in your pocket so that you have some leverage when um, when you're reviewing the photos and waiting for the photos to come due. All right. And congrats on your wedding. I hope everything goes well. And uh, I want to say thank you to Sean and Sarah and Gabe and Corey and uh, our anonymous voicemail. Um, I hope you get your money back from your friend. I really do. And I hope that sometime soon you and your friend can reconcile your relationship over this. It may be over and that would be justified, but I, you know, it's really... Uh, that's the real bummer is it's not just the money, but it's the friendship, you know, that, uh, that was compromised, but a good lesson for all of us. Tammy, thank you so much. Tell us how we can learn more about She's the First and how we can, you know, volunteer with you, get in touch. Yes. Well, our website is she's the first.org and we are all over social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at she's the first. Um, so please reach out. We would love to add all of your audience to our movement. Thanks, Tammy. This was really refreshing to have you as a co-host and my very first uh, audience guest on Ask the on Ask Farnoosh, and it was really fun for me. And I hope it was enjoyable for you. I didn't uh, put you to sleep too much. <laughs> Not at all. It was a lot of fun and educational at the same time. Oh, thank you so much. And everybody, check out the Monday episode of So Money. We have Alice Finn on the show. She's a financial expert and has a lot of advice for us ladies out there. So stay tuned. Hope you have a great weekend. And I hope your weekend is so money. So money. 